You're listening to the Denver Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by RICO, your local guide for all things real estate investing in Colorado. Hey, Colorado, Chris Lopez here. And today's podcast is an interview with an investor, Steve Medina. And his story is a story a lot of you guys can relate to. He's had a great corporate career, but he made the transition recently to pursue real estate investing full-time and also pursue a new real estate career as a real estate agent. So we have him on the show today to unpack how he made a career change, plus how he acquired five rental properties in about 18 months. So Steve, I'm glad to have you on the show. Thanks for coming in. I appreciate it. I appreciate being here. So thanks. Yeah. So like I said, a lot of people want to do what you're doing. Like, you know, hey, I want to own rentals. I want to switch into being a real estate, uh, you know, real estate professional. Uh, let's rewind this some too, because I know your story really took some major turns for real estate investing in your career. I think a few years ago, while you, your wife, and maybe some of your kids were living in Arvada, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I'd had, um, kind of a good career where I got to move around the country a bunch. So, um, you know, it, it was, you know, a, a great opportunity to be able to see the whole country. But when we came back, we moved to Arvada and, you know, we raised our kids there baseball parties, big house, big lot, you know, five bedrooms, you know, too much square footage, too much stuff. And so I got to looking and saying, you know what, kids are going to college. We got a big house. I know we raise our kids in it, but I don't know if that's the place that we want to have for our next stage of our lives. And so empty nesters, empty nesters. So our daughter was going off to college after COVID. And I said, you know what, there's a ton of equity in here. Um, it's going to be awfully tough, but we've moved around a bunch, so that's not too big a deal. Um, so let's sell the house, take the equity. And I jokingly said, play with house money. And we went and invested. And so that's kind of the start of it. So it was kind of like a portfolio approach of saying, gosh, I've got an underperforming property that I live in. That's not really an asset. How can I turn that into something that works night and day for me? So that's where, how long did you own the house for? Um, I'm going to say about 13 years. Okay. And what was the approximate like equity you had in there when you sold, if you don't mind sharing? Um, it was just under 700 when we worked with a, a York Castle agent. She had never sold a house that was over a million. So it was like, wow, it's, you know, you don't realize it is until it is. And you do that and you go, okay, um, that's, that's awesome. I hope we can get it. And so they come in, they stage it. We got it already. We took five months and um, a lot of tears. You know, uh, I look at things much more functionally. My wife, not so much. That's why she's a great medical professional because she cares for people and does things. And when I said, ah, let's just move out of the place where we raised our kid and had her baseball games and all that. She was a little less matter of fact, huh? Yeah. 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 So um, I can relate. I think a lot of people can relate to, relate to those dynamics. Yeah. So your partner matters. Um, mm. And I tried to do it right, but I, think I'd still underestimated how important that was to, to my kids too. So. And so when did you actually sell your, your, uh, your house, your primary? So that was February of 2021. Okay. So February, 2021. Yeah. And then you moved to Windsor and started buying some 
rental properties, yeah. that, and what was the timeline as you shift your careers? Well, I want to make sure I get this let, timeline let, down. Let me back up just a little yeah. bit. So I was working in corporate. I was, um, we'd built up a sales organization across um, multiple states. And so I was traveling a lot. And so that was good. But then um, there was some ownership changes in it. And so it wasn't as good of an vi- environment as I had had the good fortune of being in the past. So I said, you know what, this isn't going to be a long-term solution for me. So I was like, it was during COVID. I said, what can you do during COVID? I said, you can do stuff in the evenings or in the mornings. And so I started studying because I said, I'm not going to let the door hit me in the butt. Studying for what? I wanted to figure out a way that I didn't have to go back into another corporate run um, because I was kind of burned out from it. I mean, it, it ate a hole inside of me, mm-hmm. to, to be honest. So. I decided I'm going to find something that I'm going to go do this different. I've done consulting in the past. I wasn't really interested in that. Um, So I thought, you know what? Real estate's a place that I can understand. I've been there before. I bought and sold houses as we moved around. I get the concepts. I have a different set of resources. So I I tried to put all the things into place, and then I studied voraciously. I watched your videos, Bigger Pockets it's the videos. best place to study. Yeah. Ours and yeah. Bigger Pockets. I love and, it. And uh, and you know who up in Northern Colorado, James. So, oh, James Orr is um, an amazing guy to learn from. Yeah. So he's he was kind of my Sherpa to get going. So I I said, I, I'm a planner. So I laid out a plan. And I the first time I talked to my wife about saying, hey, I think we should sell. I knew it was going to take several conversations. Um, the first one was very tearful. Uh, not me, but my wife. <laughs> and so I felt really bad. But I find that when I work on things that taken in small bites, being able to kind of have, get used to it, showing the benefit, doing that stuff over time, there's things I underestimated and there's things I, I overestimated. But um, we just said, you know, let's do that. So I actually got a HELOC because all of our money, all of our careers has just gone, shovel it as fast as you can into retirement funds. So there's a lot there, but we're making a lot. And that's where kind of that Henry term is like high earners, not yet rich. Well, I was trying to figure out what does rich mean? Because it was rich. But when you shut that off, your income shuts off. And so what I want to do is find something that when I shut it off, it keeps working for me. So Mm -hmm. that's where I felt real estate could work for me or for us. Um, I'm a little bit older than my wife by about seven and a half years. She'll tell you eight. But um, the other thing is, I said, you know what, I, the math says I won't be here as long as her. And so my goal is to make sure that she never has to worry ever. Yeah. And my kids, I want to teach them about stuff so that they don't just work a career and try and figure it out that way, that they have multiple ways to be able to understand how wealth is built. So that's where we went. So with that, it was kind of crazy. It was during COVID. Um, it was the, the second half of it. So it was in 2021. We actually had to go stay in a hotel because we had so many showings on our house. We couldn't even stay there. So it was crazy. We had four offers over asking in the first five days. We worked through it. We sold it. So I was able to pay off. Excuse me. I, I, we got a, a HELOC and I bought the first rental up in Greeley. So that was December of 2020. Okay. So you bought, you took a HELOC out in your primary. Yep. Uh, use that to fund the down payment for your first house in Greeley? Was that just a 25% down? Yep, just 25% down, okay. 3% interest rate. It's it's that good model that I, I like up there. That's a full new construction, right? No, actually it was no. existing. It was a resale, but it was a model that I'd 
I'd been working on understanding. So, um, and it was in Greeley. So it's like, well, you know, it fit everything, but is Greeley the fastest appreciation one? You know, I, it was kind of just getting in something that felt like it was close to where I wanted mm-hmm. and then we'll figure it out. And then each one successively. So I had a game plan for doing that. And did you start buying in Northern Colorado because you like the numbers or because you like the numbers and that's where you guys wanted to buy your next home at, your next primary? It was probably three things. W- one is I-, I was getting tired of all the kind of the, I guess the traffic and the the number of people in yeah. this area. Just the, the growth. The growth. So there was that. I wanted, I grew up in a small town in Northern California and I kind of liked being able to be a little closer to the outdoors. And then there were some better prices. Um, and then there was an infrastructure up there. So working with some of the same people that James did, I was able to not have to solve everything myself. So I yep. could pick up some of those things. So I wasn't looking to recreate the wheel. I was trying to figure out how other people successfully had done it. And then I just adapted my strategy using some of their tools. So smart approach. So I was able to do that. And then um, we were going to go in and live in it for a year. So we, we, we were up running around trying to find a property, get putting in offers over asking, things like that. And um, I think it was January. We were still not, we still didn't have a place. And we're like, holy mackerel, we're running out of time. So we went over and looked at some of the new builds um, in Windsor. And we were sitting in one. We said, we'll take this one. And the guy calls in and says, oh, somebody just took it. And I'm like, crap. He felt like whack-a-mole. You're running around going, okay. It was that quick, huh? That quick. Gosh. That quick. So yeah. we, we ran across the street. It was the, the the other model that we liked also. And we said, okay, is this one? No. Good. Got it. Done. And so, because we needed a place to live. Because I'm moving, um, you know, it's like 4,700 square feet worth of stuff into 2,200 square feet. And a lot of that stuff isn't going to make the journey. So you've got to get that 10-pound stuff and put it in a five-pound bag. And so there was that issue. So there was a lot of things, but I could not have a house because then I would have had to go into like storage and do it twice and all of that. And I was like, this is already a lot emotionally on my family. Oh, yeah. So, and, you know, COVID wasn't helping a lot of things because it just was not everything a pain in the butt. Yeah, it made everything a pain in the butt. Um, so I remember sitting outside the title place and you're outside in your car and you're signing out the window like a drive-through. So it's like, okay. But um, so we bought our first one in December. We bought our next one in um, March. And then I bought a non-owner occupied one over in Loveland um, that was the model. And I was, again, I was out looking for properties and everything, I was putting in offers. I was putting in 25000 over. I was trying to do this. I was trying to do that. We we're trying to hustle. We we're trying to put different things in the contract. And, I, and, and so I had been comfortable in the new build. And I said, well, where else are they building? And so we looked at that. And so literally, I got a call one morning. I said, they had one just pop up. And it had been a model that I was familiar with. And I said, go. I didn't, I didn't look at it twice. I didn't. I just, I just went. Because... I'd done a lot of the homework, and so it wasn't some new house that I hadn't seen. It was a new build with a builder that I just got through building a relationship with. So I built a relationship with the warranty guy. So when I talk to him, he knows it's me. It's not just the address. And he'll say, yeah, I'll get that done for you, too, and I'll get that done. So I try and make a partnership out of everything I do. Um, So we bought the third one in May, and then um, we would be moving out in the following spring. So uh, I was able to get 
two more under contract in December of 21, and then um, was able to move into those in May of 22. So that was one, two, three, four, five. But three of those were 5% down. So my, my ingoing goal was to maximize the leverage and use good reserves to make sure that if anything did come up, nothing went wrong. Yep. We weren't in danger of losing them. And that's that's the the key to hey high leverage, yep. high cash reserves take care of any black eyes. Right. And so I also um, did uh, a little bit with the new construction. I felt like I'm going to have a longer lead time before stuff starts to wear out. So four of them were new construction. So I feel like I still have time before I'm going to have to put in a new water heater. Now anything can happen, lightning strikes, stuff like that. But that's what insurance net. So I, I did those, um, put a lot of real estate, um, I, I put a lot of the um, umbrella insurance policy over them. You know, I tried to put them, set them up as businesses so that that they are set up that way. But I didn't do that till later on. But the big thing for me was being able to take the equity that I had in our primary home that was getting probably, th- I think I looked at it, it was like three and a half percent appreciation over the la- over those 13 years, which was great because it went from X to over a million, right? But then I said, well, if I'm only getting that, then it's only so much on this 690 or something like that. It was 700. It's only getting so much on that. Well, yep. 3% on 700, would I, or would I rather have, you know, 5% on 2.5 million? And so I've tried to pick better appreciating areas. And so I felt like Northern Colorado and specifically in some of the areas. So I think you know, one of the properties is, is not as appreciation as fast, but I can watch the others. And so I can kind of compare and contrast. Was appreciation your main, um, like focus? It, it to some degree was because I was planning on negative cash flow. So it definitely wasn't cash flow. So I was, w- what I tried to do is set these up so that they'd all feed each other. So the first one is already cash flowing at like a thousand bucks over what we pay, right? So that can feed some of the others. So I have two of them that are going to be cash flow negative. So I can fund those out of that. So it lives in its own ecosystem, not cash flow, but appreciation. And because of the massive leverage, because if we get, if you own a $500,000 property and you get 3% appreciation, that's $15,000. That's 15% or excuse me, 3% ROE. It's terrible. But if you get it for 5%, that's a 20x multiplier. Different story then. So your appreciation now on your investment is now 60%. So that's where that's where I tried to set this up going in. So I tried to build this. So that's where three properties we got for $1.5 million. We spent under $100,000 to get all three of those. So for me, if I don't make cash flow off those for two, three, five years, okay. Because to buy them as an investor at a higher rate would have cost me 375,000, right? So I didn't have to use 275,000. And so I still have the three properties. And so they can just do their thing, fully property managed. The other thing is I'm a little later in my career, so I don't feel like, and I'm not skilled at working on properties. Yeah. So when you know we're out someplace, my wife and I like to travel, we were in Yellowstone, the property manager called and said, hey, I've got this little thing. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead and do that, please. It wasn't like, oh, I'll be over there too, or I'll get it back when I get it there in a week and a half. So it was a lot of these things I built intentionally, but they're for me. 
my family, and my situation. So that's where I was able to do these. So now what I'm trying to do is start to use the same principles and house hack with my children. So I have three children. They're all over. My daughter will be 21, um, three weeks. Oh, wow. So as they get jobs out of school, get a decent income, they're still used to living with roommates. Just do it another year. Just do it another year and do a couple of those each. And then that can set them well, up. Well, do it, but own the property, right? Right. Have the roommates right. and the property. Right. That was my mistake. I had roommates, but I didn't own the property in my 20s. And that's that. That's exactly it. So, so go ahead and do that. Yeah. We'll help you with some of the down. If we can get in for the lower amount, then th- th- that's even better. So, so that's what our goal is, is to continue to do that. Um, and now it's opportunistically because I probably would have kept buying them. But if I could find the right one now, like that, I'm actually selling a property out in California that um, I had to put a lot of money into. So I don't have the same liquid to be available. And um, what I was also able to do with some of that is I was, you know, investing in syndications because I want to have a diversity in my investment. So it's not just. Do you have like, uh, this is something I always, I love asking people and you're, you're very like, I love how your, your brain is, uh, you're very good at like creating framework and then you do your research and have your rules and you execute on them. Um, so do you have like a balance of like, what percent of your net worth or real estate net worth is in rentals versus syndications at like half, half, or how, how do you, or do you even have a goal or framework like that? Um, as we feel more comfortable, I think we'll, I'll shift a little more away. So we probably still have about 65, 70% just in stocks and bonds. So my wife has her IRA that she's been putting away forever. I've had mine. I've, I've, I've taken and created a solo 401k cause I'm a realtor. And I've invested some of mine into that. Yeah. But I'm still probably about 65, 70% in stocks and the market. Yeah. But then I started weaving into which it's roughly doubled over the last three and a half years because of some of the appreciation and that the amount that I started with in investing in these properties and what it is today. So that's feeling great. Then I also diversified and said, I, I want to see where this market is giving us opportunities and it's in some of the bigger deals that I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, wouldn't think to run. So it's the guys like Terrence or, or, uh, some of the syndications out there that really have all the systems in place to be able to go in and buy multifamilies or, um, workforce housing or build the rent and investing with them and getting those kinds of returns working in another avenue of revenues. Because what I'm hoping to be able to do is set up so that when I really want to turn off the jets, I have a series of stepping stones that revenues will either be available. And so I think about sometimes a property is like a pinata. Do I bust it and take what I want or do I bust it and move it into something else? Yeah. Um, And so some of these syndications they'll come back in you know five to six years and And those are big pops yeah those are big pops and so you know trying to lay those out in progression so that i can repeat those then i should be able to set up myself my wife to not have to worry or not have many worries so your strategy if i want to so you've got your your stocks and bonds through a lot of like traditional retirement accounts you have 
five rentals, I believe now. Mm -hmm. And then you start to build up some passive syndication investments. So it was kind of like your three main mm -hmm. legs to your retirement stool. Yeah. Financial I, freedom stool. Yeah. Um, and, and what it allows me to do is look at them in comparison, because when I look at our stocks and, you know, kind of portfolios and that, it feels good, but it's the stuff we've always seen. So yeah. we're more comfortable with it. You know, it was tough on my wife because she said, well, I don't feel it. And I go, I, I can drive by and show you that we've got the key to that. You know, it's, it's, it's owned by us and the bank. Um, and then you go to syndications and you go, oh, that's a really abstract thing. But I go, is it really? Is it more abstract than looking at a number that's in your XYZ, you know, thing that's moved up or down and you, you, yeah. you see it and, you Just, know. You own a, you own a couple a fraction or you own a couple of stock shares in there for lack of better words, just like you own an Apple. And I don't have any control over it. I don't know how it really works. I, I do index funds. Uh, I've got a, a really good friend that is amazing at this stuff, but that's what his life is. And I go, that's not what my life is. So I can compare the returns on each one of those. And as I do, then I can reapportion funds to do that. So, so if you had a hundred thousand dollars today, where would you park it? Park it, where'd you invest it? I'd either do a, a house hack with one of my kids, um, or I'd probably go into a syndication if I had to do it right now. Okay. Yeah. Um, because I think those two right now give me leverage that I didn't, I, I, I can't replicate going through the normal 25% yeah. down, I, unless I, I get some really great deal. So that's where, that's where that makes a difference. Yeah. Well, the house hack is just hard to turn on and having to buy a place for 5% down, like, yeah. oh my gosh, like. Amazing, just amazing right there in the financing. All right, so we got that. Now, now, kind of talk about your career change as well. Because um, I, I, I know you and I have been talking for years now. Um, and, you know, just fairly recently, you uh, came on board to Envision Advisors right. and we're thrilled to have you. You're up running the Northern Colorado team with Newt Weiler up there. And you're a lot more focused on the education and strategy side, what we right. do for Envision, where Newt is like, you know, Newt's amazing out there at doing deals, negotiating, finding, and getting the best deals out there for our clients. Mm -hmm. uh, and you're more like, say, hey, let's talk about your situation, your goals, what you want to do, your strategy, and kind of team them up, say, know what to go buy or sell or do whatever with. Um, so I'm thrilled to have you on there. I want people that you're part of the team, and right. we're very lucky to have your your mind um, with the team as a resource to our clients. But talk about your career change as well in terms of like timeline and kind of the, the steps you did on there. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes I, I look at a lot of people in real estate and, and it's not a direct path. A lot of times in, in um, corporate, it is. So if you go into certain companies, you know, you go to a great school, you get into, if you can get into Procter & Gamble, if you're going to be a brand person, you go bust your chops there or, or you know, get your licks in and, and then you either grow up or out and then you go in. And so it's, there's some pretty standard tracks that you get on. And so I've not been a great fan of, of all of those. And so, you know, um, I appreciated being able to learn and grow. And I always tried to take an entrepreneurial approach inside of organizations. I, I, I didn't like seeing some rote follow the rules because it didn't make sense anymore because it was built five years ago. Mm. So, so I was fortunate, um, you know, and, and I, I, I loved working for course. I, I actually, my wife always said, why did it take you so long to find a job where they paid you to drink beer? Um, and I was like, that's a great point. Um, it had a great culture, it had a great family, it had a great 
you know, a lot of things. And But when it became Miller Coors, and, and it's no knock, they moved to Chicago, and I didn't want to raise my family in Chicago. So so I left. I did some consulting. I went, um, then I got into healthcare because I said, you know what? Consulting is a, it's a very creative place. It's um, you, you eat what you kill. You know, yep. if you don't get somebody to pay you, the, you, you got bupkis. Um, and so I was able to do that, but it's up and down. And so when my oldest was getting ready to go to college, I said, I need to get something, go back in and see that. So I was looking at an international role and another role. And so I was doing some volunteering in a nonprofit come to find out that the chairman of that was the CEO of where I went. And so, um, and it was, it was great at the beginning and I was able to do some things. I was able to come in and establish structures because I, I like building the models and then seeing how they'll work. So I, I'm, I'm, I research and then put together the best frameworks is what I try and do it. So that's what I've done with my investing. So there's other tons of other people out there. So I, you know, built new CRMs. We had to do, you know, comp plans. We had to do all kinds of stuff. I was, I was very fortunate to be able to be on the forefront of those. So it really taught me a lot. But, you know, organizations change, looking to go public. It became not a place for me. So, so I left. But when I was getting ready to leave, I was like, you know what? I don't know if I want to go do another corporate role. I had some opportunities. Um, there was one that I go, man, I'll be on the airplane 40 weeks out of the year again. I don't want to do that anymore. It just, it, it is unhealthy. Yeah. Um, and it's not, it's not good for your soul. I, I have discovered over time, there's some fun things to do, but it, it wears you out after time. So that's when I said, you know what, I'm going to find a way so that my next thing, I get to call the shots. I get to do more of what I want and I have passion around. So that's where I started engineering. I'm not an engineer, but I, I feel like that's the way I approach things. Yeah. Is I want to say, okay, I've got this chunk of equity sitting in the house. What's the best way to deploy it? And so if if some of the podcasts that James Orr, you know, had done had been like in another state, I might not have started. But because he was right up the road, I knew the area. Um, I studied voraciously. I I knew what I had and what we could do. I felt like this isn't a huge step. This is a small step. Get in one and then do the others. And I so I love the you know leverage. So so I, I just I just went all in. And there came a point where they said, Hey, you know what? Um, it's time to separate from the company. I was like, Great, I'm gonna go my own way. That was so that timing worked out well too, then. Yeah, I actually wow. had to go and had to go and pull my name off of all of the loan documents because you can't go into a loan. It's loan fraud if you say, you know what, are you gainfully employed? And it's like, well, I'm going to be leaving. Well, so fortunately, we have two. We had two great incomes, and I I planned on that with my wife, but it happened right then. So, so you were in a contract for one of your properties, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. So our first one that we lived in for a year, um, and so that actually worked out just fine. And so I I was able to continue to learn, develop, grow. Um, you know, my friend James retired, hit his fire number. I'm like, well, I better figure out how I'm going to keep acquiring them. Yeah. I said, well, it's a process. And come to the piece I haven't said is um, I was actually a realtor at 18. I was an agent out in California. Um, and I said, well, I've done it before. What I know about that, plus what I've already learned, I feel very confident about what I can do. So I said, well, I'll go sit and get my real estate license. I'm going to continue to learn voraciously. I'm a lifetime learner. And so I just spent my time doing that. When did you get your license? 
September of 21. Okay, so just about two years ago, though. Yeah, huh? just about okay. two years ago. Yeah, and so I, I I was able to start doing deals for myself, and that's that's a lot of what I want to be able to do is because I wanted to be able to know what's behind the curtain, and I see a lot of things that are behind the curtain that I go, oh, I could or could not have been an agent and still done the same things, but you don't know until you're back there. Yeah, and so what I find out now is I can go have conversations with people that are in the business that most people don't know. And I have different strategy level conversations with them because that's that's where I think the joy is, is you see somebody that runs a different way and you go, why do you do it that way? Yeah. And then it teaches you something. And so those repetitive actions teach you things. You go, oh, I thought I knew this, but now it's this way. So, um, so making the transition from corporate was in ways easy and tough. So what I did is I tried to treat it like a job. I got up every day. You know, and this may sound funny. I got up every day. I took a shower. I was in my office. I didn't, I didn't, you know, avoid it. I said, I'm going to work. And I go all day long until I was done. And I did that every day because I thought if I don't do that, I need to apply my, my training from my career and apply it in this. I, I think that's a really great tip there for people. I mean, whether they're moving into like a new real estate career, just a, as an entrepreneur in general. I mean, I've seen a lot of people go through this where they have like a side hustle or they're working part time and then they go full time. And it's like, okay, well, now you have an extra 40 some hours that week, but then they don't have like the discipline or structure. Right. And hey, those 10 hours they were doing their side hustle, they were so productive and got it done. And then now they're getting the same 10 hours worth of work done over 40 hours. Uh, which usually for going from, you know, part-time to full-time is not going to get you the revenue goals you want. Right. And I love you said that. And I really stress anyone out there who is making that transition or thinking about making that change into a new career or being an entrepreneur, really listen to what Steve said there and make sure every day is structured really well. And just like Steve said, like, hey, he showered and, you know, had his routine. That's what he needed to do. Um, and a lot of people like that. Hey, they, they're going to shower. They might even, I've had people, they even had to like put on their, their business, uh, casual clothes just because that gets them the mindset. Yep. Um, and again, that's, Hey, great. Whatever works for you. Cool. Go do it. And so I think that is a really great tip to highlight. I want to make sure people know and hopefully replicate yeah. because, uh, if you go full time into a, a new career, especially real estate where, you know, you're an entrepreneur and you're, you're commission-based, um, you gotta get stuff done. Yeah. And, and that's what I learned a little bit during the consulting. Cause it's really easy. Sometimes you go, oh, well, I'm, I'm working on this, or I made four phone calls, or I'm going to do this, and well, I'm going to go empty the dishwasher, or I'm going to go run a couple errands. And all of a sudden, you realize you haven't gotten as much done. So when I just stayed focused, I said, I'm, I'm stepping into a job. So I still yeah. do it today. I'm, I'm in my office, um, which is fortunately in my house, but I'm there by quarter after five in the morning. I have the coffee going. I get my stuff going. I'm like, I'm working. I have a, I have a flow every day. Yeah. So And I have a set of projects that I set for myself, so I hold myself accountable. Um, so what was the biggest, um, you know, looking back now, if you go back and talk to, you know, Steve Medina three years ago or whatever, four years, was really starting this journey. What advice would you tell yourself that, you know, now that you wish a younger Steve knew? It's kind of around that, that term, Henry. Okay. Um, so high earners, not rich yet, right? Yeah. H-E-N-R-Y. High right. earners, not rich yet. Yeah. So Henry, to me, was kind of opening up my eyes a little bit because I was in a mode where I had a really good job. I got paid really well. My wife had a great job. She got paid really well. We had three kids. We're hustling, right? I'm on planes, going places. 
and I didn't have time to think about or I, I didn't find it as a priority to think about the things that happen when you shut it down. And so I have a ton of great friends and colleagues across the country because I was in a couple of different businesses where they're working and they're wondering when they can shut it off and then go to their drawdown. And I said, there's another way. So I would say to my younger self. Draw down, meaning like just drawing yeah. down from your 401k, right? Yeah, yep. yep. you just put it in there and that day you say, okay, I'm done at 57 or 65 or whatever it is, then you start just drawing down. And how can you draw down, but, and, and do you have but make sure it lasts long enough before you move on? Yeah, and there's some other things, you know, uh, my oldest had a medical situation that he lost his hearing in his left ear by no fault of his own. He had a tumor that had to mm. get taken out. Well, there, there's no... There's no fix for it right now. So um, if I have the resources and somebody came and said, hey, it's 125000 to get your son to hear and put in something that's this new stuff, I didn't want to have anything get in my way to be able to do that. Yeah. And so to me, those are some of my whys. My wife never has to worry, I, you know, because I'm, I'm younger than her, but take care of her. She's cared for past me. And then make sure that my family has what they need. And then can I do for others out in the community? So that's why I do a lot of volunteering in that too. So yeah, those are great answers. And this is, uh, I mean, you know, as you guys know, you're getting a good feel for, you know, who, who Steve Medina is. And this is uh, all the reasons he listed, the, the approach, uh, the values, the mindset. Obviously, this is a big reason why we were a great fit together at Envision Advisors. And why, you know, a big part of his role here is doing exactly what he's talking about, helping people kind of figure out their own game plans for investing in. What do you do? And like, it's, it is a, it is a, you know, part art, part science when it comes to, hey, here's, here's a real estate investing game plan. Yeah. Here's a strategy. Here's a market. Here's your goals. How do we throw all these ingredients in here and make something work for you and your situation? Like, Absolutely. you know, you, me and, and Jules sitting on the camera here, we're all Real estate investors are all very different phases in our lives and very different goals. And I love that you have you bring that approach or you bring that benefit to the team. So anyone out there listening, if you ever have any desire to talk to Steve, I'd highly recommend to do it. Obviously, great, uh, great brain to pick. I have a I actually kind of a little bit of a random question here for you, Steve. This is what I always like to, as you're talking about just future planning and, and longer term stuff. And I, I love talking to people about this. I'm still figuring out myself. For like legacy planning, like hey, you've obviously got a you know you built a, uh, a you know a great financial house and it's going to mm -hmm. get bigger and you're going to create more wealth for you and your family. Um, do you leave it all to your kids or do you make them go out there and do it on their own? It's a great question. I was just on the phone with somebody the other day. Says I'm leaving nothing to them until yeah. they demonstrate they can earn something. I'm not quite in that space. The flip of that is I I probably will, and it'll probably be more my wife's decision. And because, like I say, the way the numbers work, unless something out of ordinary happens, the piece of that that I'm trying to figure out is how to set up more of my estate planning. Because I can look at the portfolio and I appreciate like Property Llama because I put all my stuff in spreadsheets and I'm very diligent about it. But when I show it to my wife, it doesn't make sense to her. But when I showed her the stuff in Property Llama, she's like, oh, it makes a little more sense then, right? I, I see what you're doing. I see mm -hmm. what you're doing. But there are five properties here. There are several syndications here. And then there's this. Right now, my children are still young enough that I'm concerned about putting any one of them in charge if something were to happen catastrophic to both my wife and I. Yeah. So 
I have to figure out, and I have some great lifelong friends. I have two friends out in California that we were in each other's weddings and best man and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And they're both very successful. So at this point, I would say, if I was going to give it to one of my kids, I said, go talk to these two men because I would trust my life and your lives with them. And they would do the same for me. So, so they're kind of like trustees a little bit. Yeah. That, that, I mean, not officially, in, but in, or advisors, my, I guess. In, in my little group, yeah. you know, it's the, their uncles um, and and I'm in that same capacity for them. So if something happened, uh, I, I like today, that. I'd be out there. So, you know, one owns a big, you know, insurance business. The other is a vintner and has a bunch of, you know, properties. But we all think the same or pretty close. But I have to figure out, like, legally. So if you have a trust and you have a will that pours over into the trust, that does a certain amount, right? That's a good Colorado, at least for me, that's a good Colorado thing. Yep. But then who do you have manage your real estate properties? That is a multi-billion dollar question. And so <laughs> I, I don't have a good answer mm. for that. So I'm actually setting up some time um, in a couple months to meet with an attorney that actually is a tax attorney and a, uh, uh, I guess, what do we call it? A state planner. And what we've talked about is trying to create a small, you heard of the term family office, oh, right? Yeah. So that's for people that, you know, if you go, High net worth is, is, is probably the terms and numbers have to be different. High net worth is a million dollars. Very high net worth is $5 million. Ultra high net worth is like 30 million. Yeah. So, so after that is when these family offices kick in. But I'm trying to figure out how can I get some piece of that? How can I get my accountant, my uh, maybe financial advisor, my attorney, um, and whoever else needs to be in on that to get on the same page about what we're trying to do? And if something happened, what will we do? Or what else should we be doing to make this as good as possible? Well, so, that, I, I, that's one of the reasons I'm excited to work because that's, you know, that's kind of like one of the bigger goals of Property Llamas actually help people figure all that stuff because I'm in the same boat. And so as you're figuring that stuff out, audience, I know a lot of you guys are listening to it as well because whenever I mention that topic, I always get emails or text messages saying, hey, who do you talk to? You can help me out with this. So we'll definitely be documenting uh, uh-huh. Steve's journey, and he is amazing at uh, documenting, sharing, explaining, and then helping connect all the dots and whatever we can. So, like, yeah, I, I love that. I'm excited to kind of do that journey with you. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, you know, because if you just have a will, generally you have to move the assets over because that's what the will does. Is yeah. the will is a, a direct link, and you go through probate, and 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 you may have to go through probate if you don't have. That's even worse. So. You know, oh, you're right. Yeah, yeah. But having a property that's, you know, all of a sudden inheritable by, you know, three people, well, that can cause some issues. So that's why I believe in having the trust, because the trust can be an entity that yeah. continues on for years and they can benefit from it. So, but how does that work? How do I set that up the best? That's what I don't know. And I can't afford, and I'm not at that ultra, you know, I'm trying to get up to the very high is what I'm trying to do. And so, how do I get there, but have some of the tools? available so that we can do that so yeah so i go reach out to people that are more successful or that have links and go chase them down so i love it so if anybody out there knows anything <laughs> tell me that too and i'll see if i can like build on that knowledge uh that's awesome I, i'm excited to to keep learning more from me about that all right what um let's see here i know we're we're hitting up uh towards the, end of the podcast here but there was one other question i wanted to ask you 
What was it here, Steve? Oh, it was you had a couple bullet points here and those you want to talk about about as you're doing your nomad and house hack strategy and buying properties, uh, you know, five percent down. You talked about some limits those have in terms of like some consideration considerations. Can you talk about those, help people figure out how to kind of navigate that? Yeah. Um the foundation of going in and getting it 5% down sounds awesome. But if you buy a $500,000 house, all of a sudden you have $475,000 worth of debt. Well, that adds up and your debt to income starts to become a problem and you can actually paint yourself into a corner. Yep. So it's how do you not do that? So it may be leaving time between them or can you have other sources of income to be able to justify that? So I'm now working on like, how do I, how do I do the next ones? And my wife has said, I could do one more if I keep taking her places. So she'll be happy with that. Then that's the negotiation there, right? I've had to do a few hostage negotiation uh, tactics with her, but um, that is, that is an impediment unless your rates of rent go up fast enough that. 75%, 75%, as we know, 75% of the stated um, income on your on your yep. taxes is what you can use towards your DTI. So the first one in um, Greeley, that one actually has a benefit to our DTI. The next one that we bought is a owner, uh, non-owner occupied, that actually contributes to our DTI. But when you start getting into the nomad ones, those start hurting your DTI. Yep. So when I have negative cash flow, that starts to say, well, you're going to need a little more money to do that because they don't just take reserves. You can't have a couple hundred thousand sitting in there and saying, you know what, but I've got this if I need it. So if you have access to your um, retirement, which I'm now 59 and a half, I'm going to be 60 in not too long, you can actually take distributions as income and then use those as income for your house. Oh, that'll qualify as, oh. So that income. So if they say, hey, you know what? You need to pull out five grand a month to be able to do that, then I can do that. Great. So I so I can continue that. So we're we're in that process right now, figuring out how to do that. And it's in which order, because I have a new grad son, one that's just left the nomad next door, and then a daughter that's about a year and a half off. So I'm trying to get these things into some sequence. But it it is a very real thing. So if you can get those balance of those that they're all cash flowing to a point where they don't hurt your DTI, then you can just keep doing it. But you're going to have to figure out how to have more income. I actually, if my both my sons were to get in the same market, which they don't always see eye to eye, but that's brothers, I guess. But it'd be really easy to put the two of them in a place and then get one or two more roommates and then Mm. they qualify. So I can help them out with the down. So these all have to face the DTI challenge. It's what are the ways around it? Yeah. And so that's what I try and do. It's like, it's not, you know, it's a problem. It's like, oh, cool. There's a problem. How, what are the different ways I could get around it? And so that's what I sit and strategize on with them. Yeah. So I, I love it. Well, Steve, thank you so much for, I mean, so many things. First of all, thank you for driving down here to Denver while you're, you're on crutches with your foot recovering. <laughs> uh, thank you for always being willing to share information you know, on the podcast, the webinar we did earlier today with Northern Colorado. You've done some great like IR, advanced IRA investing webinars in the past with us. You'll do more. 
We got more ideas on, you know, house hacking with family that you're going to talk about. And uh, just thank you for being like, you know, a new team member in a vision and also just bringing like your, your experience, your wisdom and your willingness to teach and coach to people like it's such a viable thing. So like, just thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone out there, if you guys have questions, uh, reach out to Steve. We'll make sure we put his contact details in the show notes. Uh, but just thank you, Steve. And everyone out there, you'll be hearing a lot more from Steve because he's a smart guy, a great content creator, and he knows how to say, hey, we got this opportunity. We got this problem out here. Let's figure out a way to make it work with like the can-do attitude, which I love. Thank so. you. I appreciate being a part of it. And this is where I, you know, feel like I'm more mission-driven than ever. So yeah. thank you. Awesome. All right, out there, thank you for listening and watching. Reach out to Steve, leave comments. Let us know how we can help you in your real estate investing journey. Thanks a lot. Mm-hmm.